Thank you, Steve and worship team. Oh, you were, it just like ended. <laughs> this whole morning has been hustling. Pastor Cheryl entered like the little pastor's nook this morning and I was like trying to navigate all this stuff and I'm answering with short little answers. And then my son has a has an asthma attack and uh, all this stuff is happening. And I realized that's just what I'm bringing to the table and you all are coming to the table today. You are all bringing your own stuff. So thank you for being here. I think for some of you, it might've been hard to get here this morning, but you're here anyway. That's amazing. And I'm going to try to like shake some of my jitters out from all the constant adrenaline of this morning. Be like, I'll be centered in this moment, but um, I'm really glad to be with you all today. And I love the text we're looking at. And um, today's actually the, the fifth anniversary of my working at Wellspring. I think, oh, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, thank you. We made it. <laughs> Thank you for not firing me. I haven't left. It's working out well. Let's <laughs> five more years. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, I was just feeling really thankful this morning and then everything kind of hit the fan, you know, so <laughs> I'm still feeling really thankful. And um, in this moment, we're going to be looking at a text in a minute, but um, I did have this, this sort of feeling last night that kind of sets up today's text well. And it was, um, I, I had unexpectedly spent some time off island this weekend. It was kind of like a spur of the moment trip. And I'll be talking about that in a few minutes. Um, I, I got back last night and um, you know that feeling of, of coming home and even if you've been sleeping in a very nice bed or someplace far away, you get in your own home. And somehow last night as I was like laying there and the fans on me, uh, I had this very vivid memory come to mind of coming home, homecoming when I was a small child. I was in third grade. And this feeling, I, I don't even remember uh, how strong it was until last night when suddenly I was in that same feeling again. And my family had finally arrived back in the Philippines after something like 20 hours of travel. And I grew up in the Philippines, as many of you knew, many of you know, and we had been spending several months with some relatives and friends on the mainland and some of the churches that supported my family. And so we were there and we're finally back home in the Philippines. And if you've ever traveled to a place like the Philippines before, even if you've been to a, a cooler climate and you come back home to Hawaii, you know when you get off the plane, like the humidity just like hits you. You're like, oh, wow, here I am. <laughs> if I had any question about where I landed, I know because there's something about the humidity that just envelops you, right? When you get off the plane, you can just sense it. And so that, that happened. I was in third grade. It hit me when I got off the plane and then it took, I think, four or five more hours to drive to our home in Antipolo outside Manila. We finally got there and I don't know if it was day or night, but I know it was time for a nap. And somehow laying down in bed enveloped by the, the humid air and feel, hearing the fan was this amazing feeling of homecoming. And last night as I laid in bed after just one little night away, <laughs> a 45 minute plane ride, I was reminded of that feeling of homecoming. This is a wonderful feeling. Today's text we're looking at is actually the opposite of homecoming. It's a home leaving story. It's someone who can't be home anymore. And it's not such a great feeling. But within that, within that really tough circumstance they find themselves in, God shows up at the table and somehow is able to transfigure everything for them. So we're going to be looking at that passage in just a minute. Just a quick recap, we've been going through a new worship series called At the Table, and we've been looking at different, this great graphic that Dara made for us, we've been looking at different stories of community uh, in the Old Testament, and we've been looking at what God brings to the table for humanity. What is God bringing to the table uh, for us and all creation? And then what are we bringing to the table too? Because <laughs> humans, we always bring some stuff to the table. So what are we bringing to the table? 
And last week we looked at Genesis 15, David Buchanan preached. It was really wonderful. And we saw how Abraham was bringing his realism, like in his doubts, his struggles to the table and how that was a mark of faith. The fact that he was struggling and asking God um, and, and wrestling there with faith, that was a mark of faith. David said something I wrote down that I really liked is people who've been, who've encountered God, who can wrestle with God. People who've encountered God can wrestle with God. It really stayed with me. And we saw how God brought covenant to the table. God brought God's solemn promise to be with. God, got, God brought God's sovereign promise to, to save. And God made the solemn promise on God's own death. It's a very strange and beautiful story. And David tied it right into communion, which we're going to be taking in a couple moments together. So we saw last week about how God brings the gift of God's own life and death to the table. And this, this week, we're going to be looking at a passage in Scripture a couple chapters later. And it's a passage of Scripture where, like, tensions are running really high. Um, we're actually picking up in the middle of a story. And if it were reality, reality TV, uh, I think the recap, you know, there's always a recap for, like, whenever you're watching something as, like, previously seen. I think the recap for this would be very, very interesting watching. It would be something like you'd hear Esau being like, I'm going to stick a knife in him. And then you have, you know, poor, poor Isaac. He, he can't see anymore, and he's reaching out with his hands, and the other brother is in front of him, you know, with, with fake, fake hairy skin on him from a goat trying to convince his dad to give him his brother's blessing. And then we would have all this like whispering in the background from like Rebecca, the mom and the brother. It would be, it would be like riveting reading. And I'm waiting for someone to make that TV show. So if any of you have connections, can you please like make that happen? I'm sure between us, we can write a really great elevator speech for why this would be great watching. Um, but there's all these like undercurrents of emotion in the text. And all these undercurrents, they're, they're specifically that. They're under the surface. None of them are addressed. In fact, even the people in question, they're not even talking to each other. They're just like talking about each other to other people, which I know whenever I'm in situations like that, I'm like, there's something going on here. What is it? I need to be curious about this. And this passage, there's all these undercurrents and it's reached a peak where things have fallen apart relationally. There's so much unexpressed hopes so many resentments, so many needs, fears, and love that this place, this family, which holds God's blessing for all families on earth, it looks as though this family won't survive. They can't be a blessing to each other, much less the whole world. So what is Jacob bringing to the, the table? He's bringing a lot to the table. He's bringing a lot to the table. He's bringing all these undercurrents of his complicated family's history. He's bringing all these unmet hopes, all these uncommunicated values. Have you ever been at a table that just felt really complicated? Like you're sitting there to eat with people and like there could be amazing food on the table, but you wouldn't even know because like no one really wants to eat there right then. <laughs> your heart's in your throat. There's like strange undercurrents. Not everyone's talking to each other. No, none of you. Wow, that's amazing. Can I come to your house for Thanksgiving, please? I'll give you my email after this. Um, yeah, so the table that he's at, that he's, that he's coming to, that he's bringing himself to, it, he's bringing himself full of all this complicated undercurrents. He's bringing it to the table. And God is also there at the table, and it's God's table, and God is host. God has plenty of things to bring to you. But I just want to pause before we do that, because I want to invite you to think about what you are bringing to the table today, right? I already shared a little bit about what I'm bringing to the table, some of my anxiety about my kid, some last-minute stress. But what are you bringing today? 
to the table. What are you bringing to this table? Are there any currents kind of swirling around you that maybe you want to be curious about? I think I have this on a slide even. Oh, and I'm supposed to point this at Stacy, not at the screen. Here we go. Let's see if this works. <laughs> I was told not to point it at the screen and roll. They said, if you roll over and point at the screen, it won't work. So I will try not to do that. Here we go. So I think we should have our first reflection question. Um, and you know what? Here we go. What currents in your family, it could be your home family, it could be your, your work family, it could be your church family. What currents are inviting your curiosity? And I think we have one more too. What conversations might need to happen? But the one that I really liked uh, that I've been thinking about this week is this one. Um, what's the conversation you're not having right now? It's like, if you're not sure what you're bringing to the table, a question to ask yourself is, what's the conversation I'm not having right now? Because chances are there might be a conversation within yourself that you're not having yet. Maybe it's a conversation of how you feel about this one thing, about this one person, about this one situation. And I think we're invited at the table. Like, it's okay. We can bring, we can bring that there. And then um, is there any work that I need to do? Like, I know that this week, oh my goodness, there's probably some conversations in me I'm not having right now. So this is a good reflection question for me. So right now we know Jacob's bringing a lot to the table. Our text opens with what God's bringing to the table. So we're doing the work of what we're bringing to the table right now. Are you with me? So what are you bringing to the table? What currents maybe you can be, can you be curious about? What conversations need to happen? And now we get to the text, okay? So we're all bringing our own stuff, and here's God who brings God's own self. And I'll go read this from Genesis 28, 10 through 15. Jacob left Beersheba, that's where he lived, and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at that place and put it near his head. Then he lay there. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase, its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky, and God's messengers were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly the Lord was standing beside him and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. Every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. Every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I'm with you now. I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. We're going to stop right there for a minute. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. Over a year ago, we were in our blessed series, and we were looking at a passage of scripture uh, that looks very much like this one. And it's when God first appears to Abram and makes Abram a solemn vow, makes Abram a covenant. And it sounds almost identical to this one. It says, I will be with you. I will make your name great. Um, there's a promise of land and of descendants. And then through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. It's a very similar passage to this one, and it's in Genesis 12. And we were looking at this passage as one that David talked about last week, mentioned last week. And although we talked about this a year ago, I figured, you know, um, I can always use the word, the refreshing, because I don't always remember. But that word bless there uh, comes from the Hebrew word barak. And it's used in verses like this one, where it talks about you will be a blessing um, to all peoples. Or every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. That's the word barak in there. 
And it's also used at the beginning of creation when God is blessing humanity. And one of the first thing God does after creating is God blesses. That's the word Barak in there. And it's the same Hebrew like root word when Abraham's servant gets to his destination. He has a long travel and he has his camels kneel by a well. We're like, wait a minute. How's that the same root word? Like, what are the camels doing that's remotely like blessing? Because uh, the Hebrew word bless has its linguistic roots in the image of a camel kneeling or laying down. That's interesting, huh? I wonder what that's about. And this is where scripture is interesting to me because this was written thousands of years ago. And so we're trying to figure out what was the linguistic connection for them? Was there one between this image of a, of a camel laying down and this idea of blessing? So we're going to do a little bit of like guesswork here, educated guesswork with the help of some commentaries. But first, just to talk a little bit about how complicated uh, scripture interpretation is, I have this little quote for you here. It says, 2,000 years from now, people will not understand the difference between butt dial and booty call. <laughs> this is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. <laughs> now, if you're laughing, it's because you know there's a difference, right? One of them is when your phone accidentally dials someone, which apparently my phone was doing all weekend with a couple of you. I'm so sorry. I do not know why it called you four times from my purse. I have no idea that that's like right the, the, the butt dial, but the booty call, that's a little different. And if you don't know what it is, ask your mother or ask your child. <laughs> Or if you're brave, ask the person next to you. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But you see those two things linguistically, they sound very similar to us, right? But they mean very different things. So sometimes we have words that sound similar that are tied together. We have other words that are tied with ideas. And we don't know how that word is tied with that idea because we have lost that connection. So why about, I'll move this up screen now. What about a an, an camel laying down has to do with blessing? And I thought, well, let's think about a car parked in a garage. There's a, a, an image of a camel laying down, um, when we think about it. It's this idea that the camel is not up and running. So it's not being used for work. It's not being used for war, right? Because you would be on there with your javelin or something. I don't know. I didn't look up what they used to war with in ancient Near East. Not this Sunday. But uh, it's, not, it's not being used for war. It's not eating or drinking because it's sated. It's fed. It's, it's thirst has been quenched. It's, it's sitting because it's resting. And so there, the image of a camel lying down, it's a, it's a picture of prosperity and possibility where you could go somewhere. If you had to flee from war, you could. It means you had the resources to feed it and to give it drink. And you know what it also is? It's the image of home because it's resting. This camel will have done its work. It's beside its tent and it's resting. It's a camel at home. I'm thinking about it, that the blessing God wants to give us all is the blessing of home. It's the blessing of family and protection, of continued descendants, of enough resources to stay, sustain people, with safety to grow up in. All the things that God promised Abraham are the promises of home. And then Jesus tells his disciples all these, these, these many, many years later, Jesus tells his own disciples, to make your home in me as I make my home in you. What is the hope of blessing? It's so that we can be at home in and with God and each other. Ultimately, these wonderful ever widening circles of blessing at home and at peace with each other. And then so united with God's own heart that we are at home. 
I know Jesus says later on in John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. This this picture of home, of a camel resting, not at war, not at work. This picture of home tied to the idea of blessing. And here in our text for the day, Jacob, who is on the run from home, who is coming with a lot of fears and sadness about his home, who is wondering if his family will ever be the recipient of what was promised his grandfather, Abraham. He's met with God's own continued covenant and promise that there will be a home and that I will be with you and that one day you'll come back here. And so I love this picture that he's, he's given the same, uh, the same promise that God gave his grandfather, Abraham. And so we have this sort of unchanging covenant that we see him receiving. And there's also something new that he gets. So we're going to look at that in just a second. But I just want to invite you in your own reflecting. Like, when you are met at the table by God, what unchanging quality of God or unchanging characteristic of God might God want to remind you of? What do you see God bringing to you to the table today? What unchanging quality? Just like God reminded Jacob of that same covenant he had with his grandfather and made it again with him. What unchanging quality of God does God want to remind you of? And the second part of this question, okay, I guess we have to read this in order to get the second part of the question. Oh, thank you, Stacy. Uh, what's something that might be more specific to me in my current situation? Because when we go back and we look at that passage and we read it through, there's a lot that sounds very similar to what God was offering Abraham. And then there's a passage that's added on, and I'm going to go ahead and go to that one. It's just one little verse. Verse 15. Here we go. This is something new. God says this to Jacob. I am with you now. I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I promised you. This, friends, is something new. This is a new addition. There's the covenant, the unchanging quality, the unchanging promise that God offers, and then God offers something new to the table. And that's that, Jacob, you are in need of home. You are in need of rest. You are in need of blessing. You know what? I'll I'll bring you back. But until then, I'm going to be with you. My presence is not going to leave you. And that is something new. That is a new knowledge. When, When Jacob went to bed that night and he woke up, well, when he went to Rock Pillow that night, and he woke up the next morning there in that field, he had a new knowledge that he didn't know the night before. And that is that God was with him. It's the addition of the promise of presence. Can we read the first part of verse 15? I think I might even have it up on the screen. Let's read this together. I am with you now. Can we do that again? I am with you now. This is what God brings to the table. God's unchanging promises, and also the new knowledge we need to keep going. And for Jacob, it was that God was with him now. Let's keep going in our text. Genesis 28, 16 through 22. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. He was terrified and thought, this sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house and the entrance to heaven. After Jacob got up early the next morning, he took the stone that he had put near his head, set it up as a sacred pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He named that sacred place Bethel, though Luz was the city's original name. And Jacob made a solemn promise. 
If God is with me and protects me on this trip I'm making and gives me bread to eat and clothes to wear and I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. I think we got one more bit. The stone that I've set up as a sacred pillar will be God's house. And of everything you give me, I will give a tenth back to you. So this is what Jacob says. And at first it kind of seems a little tit for tat. Well, if you do all these things, then, then you'll be my God. It's a little conditional, but you know, we're all learning and growing, right? Jacob's bringing a lot of distress to the table. But in that moment, this is also a declaration of faith. That You know, if, if you prove true, then you will be my God. You're not just going to be the God of my grandfather, not just the God of my father, but you will be my God too. So it's, well, I don't want to bash Jacob too much this moment. He's kind of a lovely character. He, he's, he's struggling here, but he's bringing new faith to the table. It might not be a ton of faith, but it's all that God needs. And it's all that is necessary here. I, I do love his thought process, right? At the beginning, he wakes up and he had thought that it was just an ordinary field, like an ordinary stone, an ordinary rock for the pillow. But suddenly he has this awakening that this ordinary place is actually a place where God is. And this is a new thought for him. Now, I don't think I have a picture of it. I might. Do I have a ziggurat somewhere? I, oh, no, I don't have a ziggurat. So we're just going to imagine that you're in a museum. <laughs> have you ever seen those ancient Near East uh, temples? And it kind of has these um, very, very, very long staircases on either side of it. And these staircases where priests would go and they believed that the realm of the gods was the realm up above. And so they would go bring off, um, sacrifices or offerings all the way up these stairs to the top where the realm of the gods was. And then the realm of humanity is down here. So in the ancient Near East, like a lot of their worship is spent with these sort of like staircases or stairways. And so Jacob's dream, he has a staircase in mind because God speaks to people within the culture of their day. You can imagine he's seeing a sort of like cigarette with these, these stairs and steps going up. But what's so fascinating about it is that it isn't a priest who's going up or down it, but it's actually God's messengers. And they're going up and they're going down. There's this idea of connectedness for the first time. Heaven just isn't a place far off, totally disconnected from earth, and earth is left to our own resources. We're just stuck down here. But this idea of interconnection, things are coming and going, God's own messengers. So Jacob has this picture of like, God is here. Oh, and then God, God wasn't even on the, on the ladder or the staircase. God is actually right beside Jacob talking to him. So that's like another shocking thing. And what I love is when God comes to the table and God, what God brings to the table, there's some, some things that we, um, God uses some of the language of our day, like the ziggurat, but God also brings new revelation. Like you can talk to me. I'm right here. <laughs> Surprise. I'm not at the top of this thing booming down at you. I'm right here with you. So we have him viewing this, this ladder, knowing that there is an interconnectedness between the realm of God and the realm of humans. And what does he do to symbolize this? He takes his pillow and he makes it the first church. Now, in scripture, we don't have, um, right, they didn't have churches like we do here today. You know, they lived in tents. They don't live in the houses that many of you, you and I, that we live in today are apartments. They lived in tents. You know, they had the ziggurats. Uh, but that was something that was very much like the state would do. Now, you might have your own places of worship. And this right here is one of the first ones that we see becoming a place of worship that you don't just worship at and leave, like Abraham would build, you know, have a sacrifice and then leave. But we have one that, that becomes one that they keep going back to again and again. And it, he already has ties to it. He might not realize it was a place where his grandfather had actually set up and worshiped God, this place of Bethel. So we have him placing up this pillar, uh, pouring oil on it, which, which sort of marks it apart, right? Because it stains the rock. And it signifies it as this is a sacred place where I met God. 
And what I love about this is that in an ordinary field, in just an ordinary, um, really troubled day, he was able to see God's interconnectedness and God's presence with him even there. And I think that this shows us that God's presence can transform and transfigure anything, right? God can engage us in the middle of our conflicted lives and can cut through any unnamed currents to get to the heart of any issue. In God's imagination, earth is not left alone, but rather, and heaven is not a self-contained realm, but rather heaven and earth are interconnected and earth can count on the resources of heaven and the presence of God with us now, even when things have fallen apart and goodness is hard to find. I did share earlier that I was off weekend, um, off island this weekend. And as many of you know, um, we've been partnering with Hugs to help provide resources and needed items for Hugs families who are impacted by the fires in Maui. And Hugs families, for those of you uh, that might not know, they're families whose children have a chronic illness or a very serious illness. And in some cases, uh, these are families whose children enrolled in this, in this community when they were alive and they passed away. And the families remain part of this community. And the families that we went to see, we actually met with six families yesterday. And of those families, a number of them, their children had passed away. And now they've been impacted by the fires. Two in particular lost their entire house and everything in it, including all the memories of their child. And as many of you know, we've also been collecting backpacks. Backpacks and needed supplies. And I brought those from Wellspring. I have some pictures. I'll show you. We have Haleakala. There was nobody, not many people there in the airport. There I am following Kimmy. Her pink hat was very easy to follow. <laughs> if I ever got lost in the airport, I knew where she was. And here I am with some families. And we have big smiles on our faces. And that was after a lot of tears. As sacred stories were shared, as losses were named, as underlying currents were examined. So we had some hard conversations. And one family in particular, one thing I heard again and again before I moved to the, the next picture of the family is I just heard people saying, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Or they'd tell me, tell Kimmy, thanks for being here. And I thought it, it was hard to hear that. So I thought, thank you for being here. What am I doing? I have a backpack with some supplies in it. Like you lost your home. You know, what, what am, thank you for being here. I also have a sad story of losing a child. What, what, what can I possibly be doing here that can in any way be helpful? And yet somehow through our tears, through our shared storytelling, through just our presence there, it mattered. It made a difference. They knew they weren't alone. I heard a couple questions like, how are, how are people on Oahu thinking about this? What are people saying about this? And I just, I'm like, we're, we're really sad and worried. <laughs> We want to make sure this isn't forgotten. We want to make sure you're able to stay in your home. We want to make sure you get a home. It's this, connect, this questions of connection. And this other family that I met, this is one of the families whose son had passed away a couple years ago. And um, like them, we, their, their family had another child after two years after, and so did ours. And we got to share stories and talk with them. And their eldest daughter, who was just a couple years old when her brother died, their eldest daughter, mom shared with me a project she had done in school after the fires. And they were 
sharing, they had to identify like a body part that um, they really valued and then why. So some kids are writing, are writing like, I really value my eyes because I can see. And other kids are writing like, I really value my ears because I can hear my nose, my mouth. And um, what Danica, uh, what she wrote in hers and her mom showed me a picture of it. I wish I'd taken a picture to show you of her project. But she said, I value my heart. The reason why is so she could give and receive love. So she could hold her brother in her heart. So she could pray. So she could be connected to God. And God could be in her, in her heart. And I think, you know, these families who've lost so much, who are somehow surviving and held together with, low, with love, with a little bit of hope, with the good-hearted thoughts of those who are able to send backpacks and give cards and able to go there and listen for a little bit. Even though we feel so inadequate, we know that in some way this is a little bit of the presence of God and the presence of home to say you matter. You might have lost your house, but your home with all those who love you, people you don't even know, people who care about your story, we are here. We are here and we'll continue to be here. We're gonna to try to go GoFundMe for this family, so stay tuned. But somehow our presence together can provide some consolation, some hope for the journey. And this is exactly what Jacob is able to see as he comes to the table with all, all of the complicated heartache that he brings. And he discovers that God is at the table with presence. I will not leave you. Can we say that? I will not leave you. Just as we want to say to these families, I will not leave you. I will hold your story with me. We will do what we can to support you. And as we say this to each other, I will not leave you. Here we have the home and the blessing of each other. And right now we have a house too, which is kind of nice. Look at this. We're not under a tent. This is amazing. We don't have any camels outside yet. <laughs> Can we have a team that does something about that? I don't know. <laughs> but we have a house together too. We know that house and home are different things, but at its best, house can be a home and can help further the home. And here we are able to have both. We have the blessing of both. And most importantly, we have the blessing of God who wants to put that home of God and each other in each one of our souls. So today, whatever you're bringing to the table, Want to ask yourself, are there any conversations you need to have or that you're not having right now to kind of help enhance this feeling of home we can have together? And what is God bringing to the table? What's like a characteristic of God or a covenant that you need to be reminded of? What's something, maybe a new revelation that you need to hear so you can keep going? Here we are. We are at God's table. God is here for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for the gift of community, your life given for us to bring us into relationship with you, where we don't have to hold anything back, where we can be freely and fully ourselves, and you can be freely and fully your own self. Creator God, as we join you at your table of covenant, as we are reminded of the gifts that you give, gifts of your life, your breath, gifts of time, gifts of the miracle of presence and community, we pray that your life would fill us, that we would live into and be your home, even in this house here. And that you would invite us to look outside our walls 
but all those whom you want to bless, all those who are part of your family, all those you want to share the goodness of safety and security, of a sure and future hope, and of a life spent with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.